everybody hear me? All right, happy Easter to you again. (laughs) Part two. All right, so here we go. Guys, what we're doing is we are going over um, basically the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Because what we do is we come to our Resurrection Sunday moments, and we think about all that he's done for us. But what we want to do is we want to slow down to even think through and talk about what that means to us in our personal lives. Because the resurrection of Jesus is always a present reality, right? We live in the present reality of Jesus every day. It's not like we just celebrate him Resurrection Sunday. We experience his resurrection power, his resurrection life, his signs, wonders, miracles— on a daily basis. How many people can say amen to that? Yeah, and so that's the good news. But on Resurrection Sunday, what we want to do is we want to slow down to really actually focus on the the climax of all of our life in God, which is his sacrificial death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so today, to do so, we're going to finish our series called After the Storm, and we're going to talk about how Jesus, in fact, uh, was helping us to get to a place of not only experiencing the storms in our lives victoriously, but giving us a charge after the storm that would actually help us to pass that victory of his resurrection life on. And so if we could pray today, we'll begin, um, if you have a Bible, in Matthew chapter 27. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your resurrection life today. God, we don't celebrate anything beyond what you've done for us. And God, there's nothing that can eclipse it. There's nothing that can surpass it. That Jesus, you literally brought us back from death in the grave because you first entered into death and the grave and triumphed over it. And so God, we're praying that even as we finish this series today, talking about the storms of life that we go through and how you are not only going through them with us, but that you triumph over them by your resurrection power. God, we pray that we leave this place, not only celebrating you, but walking in great faith for all that's to come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're doing today is we're going to um, actually take the time to read through some of the scripture uh, that actually surrounded Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But we're going to talk about it today in three parts. We're going to talk about, uh, first of all, the charge against Jesus. And why whenever we encounter storms in life, why people often don't have something to cling to. They don't have something to cling to because of the fact that they don't receive Jesus as he is. And it is actually surrounding the charge against Jesus that, uh, that will find the reason why this is. Secondly, we want to talk about really the charge that God gives us, not if, but when we have storms in life. God is always speaking, and he says that the charges that he gives us in the midst of the storms of life are actually meant to change us. During the challenges of life, the storms come to change us into the image of God. And then finally, we want to look at what God intends to do after the storm, after we pass through the storm into his resurrection life. After Jesus himself passed through his own storm, what happened on the other side of it to actually provide salvation to the world. So let's begin in Matthew chapter chapter 27 and understand why people find themselves in trouble or flailing about in the midst of storms often by looking at the life of Christ. We're going to start in verse 35 today. It says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. They sat down and kept watch over him, meaning Jesus there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So often in 
Roman culture, we saw that when people were crucified, the charge or the crime that they had committed was placed over their head as they were crucified. And the only crime that they could initiate or they could claim that Jesus had committed was claiming that he was in fact the king, that he was in fact king of the Jews, and not just of the Jews, but over all creation. Here lies, here hangs the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So whenever we look at, first of all, the life of Jesus, we see that to actually fulfill the call of God on his life, the call of the Father on his life, he ultimately had a storm to pass through. And that storm was the crucifixion. That storm was laying down his own life for the salvation of humanity, to reconcile humanity to himself. Jesus didn't reject it. Jesus didn't try to avoid it, even though we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane last week and saw that Jesus honestly prayed to his father and said, Lord, if you're willing, please take this cup from me, but not as I will, but your will be done. He said, because of my love for the father and my love for humanity, I'm choosing the storms that will ultimately not only change me, but it will change the world. And what we see is that Jesus is being crucified, and the thing that is crucifying him is ultimately the charge that's against him. It's the sin of humanity that he's paying for, but in the natural, people were rejecting him, and they were putting him on the cross because he made a claim on their lives. Now, the thing that often causes storms in our lives are not just the things that we can control, you know I mean, but the things that we can't control. How many people have ever been through challenges in life that you just couldn't control? You couldn't control them, and you had to learn to walk with God in the midst of them. But sometimes there are also storms in life that we inflict upon ourselves. How many people have been through those types of storms before? <laughs> okay, And the storms of life that I'm talking about here are the storms where we choose to be our own master. We choose to be our own king. And instead of actually submitting to Jesus as he is and his commands and his ways, we say, I want no king. I want to be ruler of my own life. I see my opportunities. I see all that's afforded me by life in Chicago and schooling and academia and every opportunity that's in front of me. And you know what? Truth be told, the things that I desire, Jesus is getting in in the way of that. And what happens is that just as those who were walking amongst Jesus during that time rejected him as being king of their life, so also in our times we reject Jesus as being not a good teacher, not a prophet, that wasn't the charge against him, not even a good moral standard. But what we reject him as is ultimately the king of our lives. And just like Jesus came to not just save the world, but to rule over it, we must submit to him today if we're going to avoid some of those self-inflicted storms 
that he's ultimately trying to save us from. We do not want to be like the people who ultimately crucified Jesus. And though we all have at some point, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we want to choose on this Resurrection Sunday to repent of that today and choose to turn from it today. Because the story of Jesus' crucifixion and the story of his life is ultimately that he will not be worshipped as anything less than he is, which is ultimately a king. He will not be served as anything less than he ultimately is, is, which is ultimately ruler of our lives. And the point of the resurrection is that he came, yes, to defeat sin and death, but he also came to be exalted as ruler over all heaven and earth. And when he comes, he comes to rule. And it's not just in an esoteric or metaphorical sense. It's in a very personal and real sense. And whenever we, he comes and makes an approach in our lives, and let me be very clear, if you're here today, whether you came knowing him or not, he's making an appeal to you. Whether you've walked with him before or not, he's making an appeal to you. And he's basically saying, choose this day who you're going to serve. Because it's not if, but when you face storms. And if, when you face storms, you're going to have to, in the midst of them, choose who's master in your life. And Jesus is ultimately saying, if you want resurrection power, it's got to be through me. Now, how do we know that? We know ultimately that prior to um, Christ's crucifixion, that they were putting him on trial. And Mark 15, verses 6 and 7, actually talks about him before Pilate. Pilate was a Roman governor at the time who had the ability to set Jesus free if the people had chosen to side with him. The people at the time were given an option by Pilate because it was custom and customary during the time every year, during the time of Passover, for them to release somebody, one of the prisoners under Roman guard, to the people, saying, I'll pardon this person. And in the midst of Jesus' trial, Pilate said, listen, I'm giving you a choice. You can either have this Jesus, who's ultimately saying he's coming to save you, or you can have Barabbas. Barabbas. And if you know anything about Barabbas, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. In the midst of the Roman Empire, he was an insurrectionist. And not only was he an insurrectionist, but he was a murderer. And he represented the other option that we have continually in our lives with Jesus. He says, if you choose Jesus, you have life. If you choose his ways, you have eternal life. But any time you choose to reject him, you'll get a murderer released to you as the other option. You will get that which is death and that which destroys and that which takes away from the relationships, your peace of mind, your health, and everything that God's trying to give you, it will be taken from you if you choose to reject Jesus. That's what he said in Mark chapter 15. He said, now at the feast, verse 6, at the feast he used, meaning Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in their insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And he said, who do you want me to release to you? They said, we want Barabbas, the murderer. He said, what do you want me to do with Christ? What do you want me to do with just Jesus who's called the Christ? And they're saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Get rid of him. I don't want his influence in my life. I don't want his leadership in my life. I want to be my own king, so crucify the one that's claiming to be king and release the murderer. 
And ultimately, that is the choice that's set before us, not only on Easter Sunday, but every day of our lives. That's why he said, listen, if anyone chooses to be my disciple, they must also experience a cross. They must daily choose to deny themselves, take up their cross, not Christ's cross, but their cross, and follow me. And follow me. And the choice is always ours that Jesus has got to be son of the God. But if we choose the cross, it means death, but it also means in him resurrection life. I think that because of the fact that we've um, been really celebrating a, a lot of the um, esteeming of women throughout the, um, the current of the past several months, one of the things that I came across was a quote by um, a modern feminist who her name was Gloria Steinem. How many people know Gloria Steinem? Okay, <laughs> okay, Gloria Steinem. And one of the things that she said that I thought that was so appropriate to what Jesus said about himself, as he, she said this, and pardon her language, but she said, the, I'm not going to cuss, but she said, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Meaning that God coming to you and actually saying, listen, I'm wanting to be a savior to you. I want to be the one who delivers you. I'm coming with good news to set you free, but first I'm going to give you something that's going to anger you. I'm going to give you me as the one who's actually got to be in control of your life. Because when I bring you into a storm, I'm going to give you a different charge. You've charged me with being a king that you want to reject, but I'm going to give you a charge that will ultimately change you if you submit to me. It will change you if you submit to me. And this is what we see in Matthew chapter 27, continuing on with the crucifixion of Christ. Let's look in verse 45. It says, from now, from now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, another storm, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And you can imagine this. That Jesus is basically crucified after proclaiming that he's not only the son of God, but must, if he's going to actually be savior of our lives, actually be Lord of our lives. And then all of a sudden he's crucified and the people who are surrounding him, watching him, they're saying, hey, listen, they're continually, even the people, bystanders walking by are mocking him saying, hey, listen, if he really has answers in life, if he really has what we're looking for, shouldn't he be able to save himself? Shouldn't he be able to get down from that cross and deliver everyone without that pain and without that suffering? And Jesus always said repeatedly throughout his ministry, this must be done. 
This must be done to fulfill the scripture. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Meaning that the reason we're even able to approach God is because God himself took on sin himself, became sin. Jesus took on the sin of humanity, all of the reproach, all of the guilt, all of the shame that you and I should be experiencing because of our life decisions. Jesus said, I voluntarily took it on myself so that you might have an exchange and go free. That I'm making an exchange with you because I went to the cross and though I was innocent, I became sin so that you might go free. He said, this has to be done if you're going to live. This has to be done if you're going to experience not death, but resurrection power and life. And when he was going through his storm, he was crying out to his father saying, listen, I've been in unbroken fellowship through my obedience to the father up to this point in my life. And now I'm on the cross becoming sin for sinful humanity. And finally, I feel a separation between myself and my father. And I'm crying out, Lama, Lama, Eli, Sabachthani, God, why have you forsaken me? And if you've ever been in a storm in life as a a person who's tried to live for God, that's what you can feel like, right? My God, my God, I'm in the midst of a trial when I was trying to serve you. Why have you forsaken me? Where in the world are you in the midst of this? But he says, God gives us a charge in that moment. He says, be steadfast to my word. Trust me, and you're going to come through on the other side. Because God the Father obviously was not going to leave him in the grave. He wasn't going to leave him in death. He wasn't going to leave him feeling abandoned and insecure. But in fact, he was going to raise him from his place of death, even as he passed through his storm. And what he's saying is the charge that he's given us is this. He's like, you are going to be changed by your storm. It's just a matter of how you're changed based on who you go to in that moment. You see, Jesus is ultimately teaching us that in the midst of the storm, we've got to go to God the Father. Because in life's challenges, the things that are coming to break you, they will change you. One way or another. How many people have actually experienced before a life-altering storm in your life? A life-altering storm. What I mean is that it's a trial. What I mean is that it's an experience. What I mean is it's something, some disappointment or some sort of health issue or some sort of loss that you've experienced. And in the midst of it, you're, you're looking around and you're saying, God, where are you in the midst of this? Where are you in the midst of this? I, I, can't, I can't see you right now. I can't feel you right now. Right? We like to feel things as Christians, right? I can't feel you right now, God. I don't know your presence like I did before. It's not that he's changed, but it's that the circumstances are causing darkness over whatever we can see in our, on our horizon, in our land. And like Christ, we're crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the challenge during these storms, just like Christ, is to understand that we have an option of who to go to. Whenever these unexpected and these challenging storms hit. There was a woman named Elizabeth Elliot (coughs) who experienced many storms in her life. How many people are familiar with Elizabeth Elliot? Okay, great woman of God. (laughs) 
And in the midst of she and her husband actually being missionaries to an unreached people group, they were going and they were preaching, obeying the will of God. And the night before actually going into the tribal region to preach the good news of Jesus, they were singing songs and hymns of praise to God, talking about God's deliverance and God's protection. And as they went into the storm, as they went into the fulfilling the call that ultimately they were to receive from God to preach the good news to this unreached people group, the next day, her husband, Jim Elliott, and his missionary companions were speared to death, fulfilling the call of God. And Elizabeth Elliott, for the rest of her life, had to make a decision. Who am I going to go to in the midst of my loss? Who am I going to go to in the midst of my challenge? Who am I going to go to when it seems like I can't understand why all of this is going on in my life or why this darkness has descended upon me? And she ultimately chose to go to God to experience her victory. And there was a great, great testimony that came from it that those same group of people who ultimately speared her husband to death became Christians over the many years that followed in the preaching of the gospel, that his life was sown as a seed into that. And it was a testimony and an amazing miracle. They're asking the question, why are you coming back to us when we killed your husband? But God showing his grace and his mercy to the people who had in fact killed her husband were actually able to receive the gospel because she clung to God in the midst of her trial. And she said this ultimately. She said this ultimately. She said, in the midst of my trial, I understood this, that God is God. I have to understand that God is God. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and my obedience. The charge he gives me, just as he gave to Christ on the cross, is I'm worthy of your trust and your obedience. He says, you're worthy of my trust and obedience, God. I will find no rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. And often we serve God only if we can understand what he's doing. I mean, people have been guilty of that before. I'll serve God if I can piecemeal together his plan. And I say, I understand this. This is the next step. But how many people say, know that he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Which means that he gives you enough illumination for the next step. He doesn't always give you illumination for the 30 and 40 steps down the road. He says, it is enough that you acknowledge me as God, that you trust me, and you obey me. Because if you're looking for success in life, let me tell you, modern people, going to Barnes & Noble, reading all your get-to-know-you, and like motivational books, how you're going to succeed, let me tell you what success is. Success is obedience to the will of the Father. Obedience to the will of the Father. That no matter what storm he's bringing you through, he's saying there is victory on the other side if you choose to trust and obey me despite what you understand. And I'll say it again, you will undoubtedly go through a change when you pass through the storm. Who you become is determined by who 
or what you go to in the midst of it. We see that going back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. After the great shaking and the tearing of the veil, and what that represented is that whenever Jesus was crucified, there used to be a veil separating the holy place from the most holy place in the temple where the Israelites came to worship. And every year they would have to make an atonement, make atonement for their sin so that the people of God could once again approach God in righteousness and holiness. They used to offer sacrificial animals to make atonement. And Jesus was saying, I myself have now become your sacrifice. I myself have now become your atonement. I myself am the one tearing that veil, enabling you to come back into relationship with God because of my death taking the punishment for your sin. There's no other way. He said, you've got to come through me. The only way this veil is going to be torn, the only way you can have proper relationship with me is if I first die. But when I die, I'm not going to stay in the grave. I'm going to come back from the dead. And what we see is that not only was this veil torn, but there was an earthquake that took place. There was a shaking that took place physically in the land. And in verse 54, it says, when the centurion, how many people have seen that movie Risen? Came out in 2016, okay? 2016, pretty good. Okay. Anyway, he says, when the centurion and those who are with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake. So you see Jesus giving up his spirit, Jesus giving up his life, him saying, I'm giving up my life for the salvation of the world. And then all of a sudden the veil is torn. There's a great earthquake. And this guy, the centurion, who's just wondering what to do with this Jesus hanging on the cross is having to have a response now to him. It said, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. And among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So all of a sudden you see this pagan centurion from a distance, just observing who Jesus was, but experiencing the same storm that everybody else was. And then once he sees this veil torn, once he sees the earthquake in response to Jesus giving up his life, it ultimately changes him. And ultimately, he's able to finally admit, this was, this is the Son of God. This is, in fact, the King of the Jews. This is the one who needs to rule over my life. But ultimately, what he was able to do is respond to Jesus as he is and not go to other things. Not go to the substitutionary things that we try to use to fill us and satisfy us in the midst of our storms. What are some of those things? You have to ask yourself the question whenever you're going through the storms of life. Who will you go to or what will you go to? Will it be throwing yourself in the storms of life? into work and career to just placate the pain that you're experiencing. Whenever you're going through a storm, will you throw yourself into your work life so that it almost numbs everything else around you? Or will you find yourself at the feet of him who can heal you? Will it be anger? How many people have ever responded to the storms of life or the trials of life in anger? You just get angry, right? This should not have happened. I'm angry. And I want to blame somebody or something. Will it be anger that you find 
refuge in? Or will it be the counsel of the one who daily bears your burdens, binding up the brokenhearted and healing their wounds? Will it be the fleeting pleasures and mind-numbing entertainment that's offered us on a daily basis? Anybody ever escape there? Just entertainment, like huluing yourself to death. <laughs> right? Like it's a, like hulu around your neck. <laughs> or will it be the presence of one who brings fullness of joy? Will it be alcohol, drugs, or some other thing like that can satisfy or ca- cause us to numb the pain? Or will you instead choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit? These are the things that he's always juxtaposing against one another. He says, come to me. Will it be pornography or illicit relationships? Or will you actually come to the lover of your soul? He's saying all of these things are choices that can be made when you're going through a trial. All of these things are choices that have to be made. But ultimately, it's a choice again, like Jesus or Barabbas. What leads to life or what leads to death? He says, come to me. Elizabeth Eldiot went on to say this. Where does your security lie? Is God your refuge? Your hiding place? Your stronghold? Your shepherd? Your counselor? Your friend? Your redeemer? Your savior? your guide. If he is, you don't need to search any further for security. Why? Because he'll actually be exactly what you need to not only meet you in the storm, but bring you through the storm to the other side. Bring you through the storm to the other side. See, the appeal today is that you don't want to end up as a bitter person. You hear me? You don't want to end up as a bitter person. You don't want to end up as a hopeless person. You don't want to end up as a person who lives as if there is no one fighting for you or trying to help you in the midst of the challenges that you experience in life. The point of the cross is I've come to save you in the good times and also in the challenging times. This is Jesus the King who loves you. And he says, don't relegate yourself to the things that cannot help, will not save. He says, come to me. Come to me. Why we're going through this is we want to ask the question. What life-shaking event has taken place in your life to bring you to this place of change? Just take a moment now as we're thinking about the resurrection. His storm changed all of human history. But what life-altering circumstance has come into your life that sets you on the course that you're on today? You might be walking through it now. What will it need to be for you to submit? Many of you have recently seen the movie Black Panther. Anybody seen Black Panther? Highly recommend it. (laughs) The Marvel Universe is in overdrive right now. (laughs) 
All right. But it reminds me of the scene with Takala, who was the Black Panther, and the king, <laughs> and Mboku. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. But he was the guy who was in the mountain, uh, like the leader of the mountain tribes. Do you remember this scene? And it said that in the transition period, in the transition point, Takala and Mbuku, before he was, before Takala would actually take the kingship, he was allowed a challenge from one of the other neighboring tribes. Anybody remember this scene? And then he comes out and he says, I challenge you. <laughs> I challenge you. And Takala's like, okay, bring it. And they're on this waterfall. And ultimately, because of his skill and his strength, Takala is able to subdue Mboku, but they're about to go over the waterfall. He's literally about to say, listen, I'm trying to spare your life because in the midst of this challenge, it usually ends in death. <laughs> it usually ends in death for somebody. And I'm at the edge of the waterfall, and can, 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 can I just have uh, somebody real quick, if you can imagine this, if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Sorry. Come on, Wes. We won't go on the stage. <laughs> I'm going I'm to hold you in a submission position. Right. Okay. <laughs> but he was like this. <laughs> and he was like, listen, I'm challenging you, Takala. And he's like, eventually, Takala's like, listen, I've got you. You're suffering. I don't want to kill you. Submit. You remember this scene? He says, I don't want to destroy you. Submit. But it will change you. You will have to acknowledge at this point. You all right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you will have to acknowledge at this point that you no longer have rights to your own way, your own way of life, and your rule over your own land. At this point going forward, I'm the king. And whenever, thank you. <laughs> and whenever we see Jesus in our lives and ultimately resurrected from the dead, it's almost like the question is what is the submission hold? What is it going to take for us to finally tap out? What is it going to take for us to finally submit and say, you're the Black Panther? Or the king. Okay? Who's like, what is it going to take for us to be able to say, Jesus, I accept your charge. You are the son of God. You are the king. Not just in a metaphorical sense, but in my life. You see, it didn't apply to everybody else who Mboku was leading in that moment. It applied to him. He was going to die if he didn't submit. And we're always passing off the idea of Jesus as if it applies to everybody else but us. Everybody else has to submit, but not me. He'll just be an idea to me. No, but the centurion was changed. She said, no, I recognize he's the son of God. I submit in my life to him through that shaking. And the question is, have you submitted based on the shakings he's offered you in your life? Because ultimately, that chokehold will come. And it's out of his loving kindness. But he says, I'm trying to spare your life. Tap out. Tap out. Elizabeth Elliot also said this. You think about it as a death. But she says, we are not meant to die 
merely in order to be dead. God could not want that for the creatures to whom he had given the breath of life. He says, we die, we tap out, we submit to him, in fact, in order to live. We die to ourselves in our own ways, we give up, we tap out in order that we might actually live. And here's the good news, is that after the storm, there's always, when we tap out, a resurrection coming. Isn't that the good news? Isn't that the good news? He says, ultimately, you might feel a death in your soul. You might feel a death in your, the way you've chosen to do things, the way you've chosen to relate to your spouse, your work life, your family members, your friends up to this point. But he says, that's okay, because in me, there's life. In me, there's resurrection. You die so that you can actually live. You die so that you can actually live, just like the Son of God. And in Matthew 28, we read finally the good news. The good news after the storm. It says, now after the Sabbath, verse 1, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was once again a great earthquake. Anybody see a theme here? (laughs) Over and over again. When God's moving, there is a shaking. When God's moving, there is a shaking. When God shows up, there is trembling. When God shows up, there is fear, a healthy fear, that's actually established in our hearts. He says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you're not trembling, you haven't encountered the living God. If you haven't been shaken, you might still have the reins of your own life. But he says, when I shake you, I show up in strength to be king and God. There was another shaking, and behold, after the great earthquake, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I love it. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? He says, I shake you, but then I comfort you. Isn't that the way of God? He says, I'll shake you and comfort you at the same time. Anybody have a good pappy growing up? Anybody? Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. A good pappy. Or if your pappy wasn't around your mama. And it's sort of like, did you not both fear and were you not bo- comforted by them at the same time? Come on, okay now. <laughs> Let me tell you, you need to intru- I need to introduce you to my parents. <laughs> they are good parents, but let me tell you something. I both feared them in a healthy way, and I was comforted by them. I remember being a teenager thinking I'd been, gotten grown. <laughs> Anybody have this experience? When you started talking on the phone to, you know, people you thought you were trying to, like, pitch a game to, you know, and everything. And I remember one time I, I was in, like, the, the room next to the kitchen, and my mom told me to get off the phone. Not my dad. My, my dad was at work. My mom. I was on the phone, and she's like, Ron, get off the phone. You need to go do your homework. I was like, listen, Ma, you need to wait, <laughs> you know. And then I was like, yeah, so, girl. You know. <laughs> and let me tell you something. That didn't fly. 
Because all of a sudden there was an earthquake. <laughs> That's right. There was an earthquake. And all I know is I was bigger and I had started growing a little bit, but I was pinned against the cabinet with my, the phone hanging in my hand. And I was like, let me go. Let me go. <laughs> because mom had risen up with some holy strength. And in that moment, I remembered that I needed to both fear and be comforted by her. Because as I hung up the phone, she was like, that's all right, you're still my baby, now go do your work. (laughs) And is that not what God is like? He's like, listen, I'm going to shake things, but I'm going to comfort you at the same time. Let me have the reins. I'm going to shake you up. Stop doing it your own way, but do not fear. Do not fear. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he has said, come see the place where he, um, where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him that is the only response that is available to the risen Christ he says you must worship him he says if he's risen then worship him if he's not leave him alone pass him by but what we declare today is that Jesus is alive that Jesus is raised from the dead and because of that not just you in here but the world needs to worship him the world needs to worship him And what we see is that after the storm, Jesus is deserving of worship. After his resurrection, he's receiving the worship that's due him. And he says, I'm giving you instruction now. Not just will you receive comfort from me, but now you go with instruction to the world and make disciples. Because as I give you victory over your storm, as I heal you, as I comfort you, as I heal and restore even your broken marriage, as I restore the things that have been causing you fear and depression and insecurity for years on end in your life, he says, I can heal that in a moment, in a moment. Do you know that's the God of miracles that we serve? That in a moment, oh, come on now, in a moment, he can touch you. Until I'm a living testimony of that. Years of my life living without God. It did not take years for me to come to him. In a moment, I proclaimed like the centurion, you are surely the son of God, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after that point, in repentance, went out preaching this good news, saying, he saved my life. In a moment. And everybody was like, why are you acting like this? (laughs) And I said, because I met somebody. How many people remember meeting the love of your life? Okay, maybe some of you are too young to. All right, listen, but it'll come. And then you start acting crazy, right? If you don't know. Ah. <laughs> well, see, listen, man. When you, are, when you are in love, you do some crazy things. How many people can say amen to that? You do some crazy things, and you're changed in a moment. 
And when Jesus comes and he's resurrected, all of a sudden you begin to do some crazy thing. You begin to worship. And then all of a sudden you receive his instruction. He says, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you. Come hell or high water, I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. He says, I'm giving you a charge because power is coming on the other side of your storm. Power to live, power to overcome, power to be a disciple. A real disciple, not just a nominal Christian. You hear me? How many people have been surrounded by nominal Christians and it's been to put a bad taste in your mouth? Saying this is powerless because whenever challenge comes, they're nowhere to be seen. God is not on their lips. God is not in their heart. God is not in their lives. But when you go through a storm and he gives you a charge and changes you, he says on the other side is resurrection power and I'm coming to anoint you. Not only to be healed, but then to be sent out and actually be a healer. In his mighty, mighty name. So his resurrection life, the message of it today is coming to an authentic, authentic, power-filled, resurrection life-filled encountered with Jesus Christ. So that whether hell or high water come. You proclaim like that centurion, surely he is the son of God. And yes, he's king of not only the Jews, but he's king of my life. He's king of all the earth. And there's nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Because I'm more than a conqueror in him. And through because he lives, I too will live. It's his promise, and we're going to live by it now and forevermore. That's the eternal life he's promised us. Amen? Amen. All right, come on now. Give Jesus a hand clap. This is what Jesus has promised you. This is his resurrection life. It's a charge that we made against him, but it's a charge he returns to us. And he said, let's live in that life today. Because it's power. It's life. The kingdom of God is not about talk, but it's about power. Let's worship him as if it is.